Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. gentlemen and welcome to getting it out podcast that was absolved the song you just heard was end of all things that's off of their new ep at the close which comes out january 27th of 2023 that's the year that we're in right here 
right now. Melodic Hardcore from Salt Lake City, Utah, unless there's another place with a Salt Lake City, but I think it's definitely Utah, the place I'm sure missing Donovan Mitchell, maybe not Rudy Gobert, and possibly appreciating Laurie Markin, and though I think it's time to make some trades. Anyway, their singer Jake Cook sent me their songs, and I am appreciative of him for doing that. You out there with your band, go ahead, email me your tracks, talk to me. Let's make something happen for your band. Let's do something fun for your band like we're trying to do here with Absolved. I want you to hear them. I'm happy to share them with you. The the whole EP is great. Please go out and download it, buy it, whatever it's called, on January 27th. It is a self-released record and deserves your attention if you are a fan of melodic hardcore, such as Run Into The Sun, whose vocalist features on this track. You might have heard him saying the chorus not waving, but drowning, which is not a reference to the band, though it could be, I suppose, that band, not waving, but drowning, did a split seven inch with my buddy's band, Boy Wonder, back in the day, which means like 20 years ago. And uh, that that buddy from Boy Wonder, the singer, he was born with one hand. So people call him names like, like one hand. Anyway, he came on the podcast a little while back, quite a while ago, in fact to talk about his mountain bike riding, which uh, sounds ridiculous, but that's what I was doing in the podcast back then. And I was happy to do it. And I'm happy he's still doing it. Go check him out. No front breaks on YouTube. You might know him as bridge nine message board user Nubinator. And how does this all tie in? Well, today my guest in the podcast is bridge nine records head, Chris Wren, and we're talking all things bridge nine. So, the next thing we need to do is listen to Hot Zone, and then we can get into the podcast. Damn, what's good, all you bitches and bitches? It's the illustrious Hot Zone, back at it again with another podcast intro. I said, oh, you want to do a podcast intro for the Get It Out podcast? I said, oh, shit, I got to write a rap first, don't I? He said, no, you don't got to write a rap first. It's a hardcore podcast. I said, all right, I think I can maybe make that happen. Let's see what we can do. thousand and twenty three that's the year we're in now and it's going to be a big one for who i don't know maybe me maybe you but i think all of us it's going to be a good one it has to be right it's starting off a little rocky for uh, famous people but i think that happens every time i really do i think that happens every time i think it happens every year everybody's like oh no it's gonna be a bad one and it's like all right at the end it's the same exact thing every year but we'll see we're gonna find out right It's January, not my favorite month. February, not my favorite month. March, my least favorite month. April, hmm, not real sure about it. May, love it. That's why I want to move my birthday to the month of May. But uh, I've talked about that enough on here. You don't need to hear me get into that again. What you do need to hear me get into is my conversation with Chris Wren of Bridge Nine Records. Uh, Someone reached out to me and asked if I would talk to Chris for the podcast. And of course, I said I will. 
I would gladly do it because I love Bridge Nine Records. They have brought me. He has brought me. He is responsible for him and his label. So many of my favorite records over the years. I've paid them $3 million for mystery packages and for CDs mostly, but it was all worth it because uh, now I have a lot of CDs and a few records too. Anyway, usually when I do an interview, I have like this plan, this thing that like this, this itinerary, this agenda, this outline of questions to ask. I told Chris, I don't know if I left this interview or not, but I told him typically I have like one page. I got to force myself to get one page of questions for my guests with Chris. I had three. I had too many questions and you'll hear a bit of that as I'm kind of all over the place with my questions. And uh, I was a little bit nervous to talk to Chris for some reason. I don't usually get that way, but uh, he made me nervous. He's a powerful man. He's like the Mark Zuckerberg of hardcore. I would say I'm saying that jokingly. So hopefully that's not an insult to anybody. Even Zuckerberg. I don't know. Anyway, I should play you a song from a bridge Nine records band. One that I had on very recently roll call. I should play their track exploit me from their EP perpetuate. I should do that. And I think I will. I think I'll do that right now. So here's roll calls. Exploit me from perpetuate available now on bridge Nine records. And then my conversation. We should get straight to business because as evidenced by the hardcore 2004 bridge nine sampler bridge nine records number 54 was supposed to be a poor excuse discography CD and ended up being for the, for the worst 
what is it called? Uh, blood guts going nuts. What happened? Where's the bodies hidden? Well, same, same singer, different band. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, it's funny. I, I, I need to make a list of all the releases that were going to happen and just never did for one reason or another. Um, that being one of them. And I heard yeah, Portuguese might reform. I mean, they were, they were a great band. You did, you did a, you did a couple things or you, at least you did a split, right? A Portuguese split. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I mean, Mike was, so Mike McCarthy is an incredible, incredible front man. I mean, he's a amateur, I think maybe, maybe professional wrestler. Um, mm-hmm. Dude, just an absolute, uh, all the elements of what you would want in a really great hardcore frontman is, is that guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I absolutely agree. Totally great, great stage presence and everything. And for the worst was great too. Uh, I love that stuff. The chaos continues. The chaos continues might be actually be the first actual seven inch I bought from bridge nine because I was a CD guy for, you know, around that time. And I, I think finally, when I decided I was going to start collecting records, I started with for the worse with the chaos continues seven inch, which is, which is yours. And that's good. That's kind of been a theme for like <laughs> me buying hardcore stuff over the years has been a lot of bridge nine. So I'm excited to talk to you. Uh, I'm glad, cool. glad this got set up. You've had a, you've had a hand in a lot of the stuff that I've loved over the years. So, so this is, this is pretty cool. Um, and, uh, I got my usual nonsense questions, but this one doesn't feel like nonsense to me. The bridge nine logo. I know yes. that it's a, a bridge, right? That's the, uh, that's what you tell the people. But to me, it looks like one of those, it looks like a, like a, a thing looking over a fence. Is any, am I the only one who's ever said this before? No, no, you you know, it's kind of like the, like the FedEx logo where there's an arrow in the middle of it, but people don't, sometimes they, they don't see it. Um, I've had, I had one, at least one of the person be like, I had no idea it was a bridge. I thought it was like this other shape, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's just, yeah. it's like, it's the bridge is in the negative space because the whites, the, uh, you know, the white is because you have bridge nine in white letters yep. so we're looking at the white and you know yeah whatever whatever i one thing i, I think it took me probably a few years to figure out what that logo actually was and then it became real <laughs> obvious but well you're, you're not alone i think there's some other people <laughs> good 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 um reason i started in what year 1995 1995 and you you went pretty hard until about when you slowed down recently yeah so it i mean it took four or five years to like really get momentum going um, and start putting out a bunch of records. And then from 2001, um, I mean, through probably like 2016, 2017, I mean, we were putting out anywhere from 10, 15, 20 new records a year. Um, Then we started doing maybe, you know, a dozen or so and COVID hit, um, everything stopped. And then we had to move. And, you know, I've gotten to that a little bit here and there, but like basically had to stop everything and kind of and re look at how bridge nine was going to exist moving forward. Right. So like we've got this awesome catalog, we've got all these great bands we've worked with. Um, but now all of a sudden we've got to bounce out of like our home of 14 years. So, um, in a lot of ways, I just, I started over, you know, I, I, you know, I had the smallest staff that I have ever, that I've had in 20 years. Um, through COVID and, 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 and moving into this new space. And it's just been a matter of kind of like rebuilding. So we're starting with this, this record store that, you know, is basically the new home of bridge nine and 
just going back and, and one by one kind of trying to put everything in place to just keep doing things, right? Like to keep putting out records. So um, I think people are definitely like what's going on with Bridge Nine, haven't heard much going on, but it's because we are so focused on building out this new store and yeah. building out this new, this new warehouse. So, you know, the, the plan is to have, to be able to celebrate bridge nine's 50th anniversary in, you know, 23 years. <laughs> and uh, I think we're, we're building the foundation to be able to do that. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. I, I can't, I mean, you mentioned you might've had to move a couple of times, but I'm sure other than the physical move, the logistical move, um, was the move tough, uh, for any like type of sentimental reasons? Because when I, one of the things that I like looking at bridges, I liked looking at your, the peaks in the warehouse you would give us, you know, the, the walls yeah. with the, with the shit on it. Like, like for me, that was a, that was cool. Like that was, a, that was a very cool thing to see. And it seems like it was like a lot of work was actually put into that. Yeah. I mean, so we, I mean, again, we were in that space for a lot of years and and built it out into a space that we could really enjoy and like the look of. And, and mm-hmm. we didn't really get an opportunity to invite people into it very often. Um, I think for our 20th anniversary, we had a handful of events where we kind of really went out of our way to try and get people to come into the space. We had some bands play. We had like a punk rock flea market. We had a comedy night, just different things that were cool. Um, but it was mm-hmm. not an easy spot to get to. It, um, parking was terrible. Uh, just finding our space was terrible. So while it was a cool space and, and I, you know, I have a lot of good memories there. I am so excited to be in the spot that we're now. So I feel like we just jumped 10 spots, you know, to, yeah. uh, to a spot that I think, um, will really be like an opportunity for us to kind of wave the shine flag from here, but also to be able to invite people in. So, I mean, now anyone can come in, you know, pick out records where we just got a live music permit. So, you know, we'll be able to start having some bands play here. Um, and, and, and we're hopefully going to be more community driven, like just do more stuff, you know, yeah. with, with people. That's very cool. And I, I have, I've been watching the, the progress. You've been doing a great job of keeping everybody up to date through social media. Um, and it's been cool for me to see you, uh, at least from, from what you're presenting that you're doing a lot of the stuff DIY yourself. And, uh, that's, that's, I mean, I just saw, watched a video of you doing a garage door the other day or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that, that's, I don't, I mean, I have a garage door and I need to fix it. Well, I don't need to fix it anymore, but that I wouldn't watch anybody else fix their fucking garage door on, <laughs> you know what Fair. I mean? But because, but because it's, it's, it's something I'm invested in, like, like bridge nine records, uh, like you working on this, making the new space. And it's like, I mean, I'm in Pennsylvania. It's, it's possible I'll, I'll be up there at some point, but it's probably unlikely. Right. You know, uh, I've been to Boston and right in the last couple of years. So the fact that I'm going back is probably not gonna happen for a while. Um, yeah, but it like, but it's, but it's still interesting to me. And I know I can't be the only one like that. That's like interested in watching how you're building this space in a place that I might not even get to. It's just cool to see. Well, the, so the nice thing about our new space is we're, we're like 35 minutes north of Boston. So it's pretty convenient if people are visiting Boston. We're also one town over from Salem and Salem gets a ton mm, of tourism. Yeah. And a lot of people that are like into punk, you know, are into the witchy stuff too. So we, we like during October when all the Salem tourism, tourism was happening, you know, we mm-hmm. saw a lot of other people coming over. So like that, that's been pretty cool. And I think we're hoping to make this a destination where, you know, if you're into what Bridge Nine has done over the years or the bands that we've worked with, um, if you do find yourself up this way, 
it's yeah. worth coming out. Of. Like we just had uh, two guys from Connecticut come up today, like just drove from Connecticut to come up here. So yeah. that was, that was, that was very, very cool to see. That is cool. That is very cool. There was always, at least for me, for me, bridge nine, like hits the, when you're at your, like your peak is like when I was at my most interested in the hardcore is when I was 17 to 25. I don't know. somewhere like in that range in those, in those early to mid two thousands, when, uh, when it seemed like everything was bridge nine, not even just the music, there was that message board. There was the, the, it was like, it was like you established yourself. And and to me, it almost kind of seemed like it came out of nowhere, but I think of course, but I think you would credit a lot of that to releasing the American nightmare record, right? Yeah, that was in a lot of ways. That was the spark, you know, that was, that was the opportunity to, to work with a band that was willing to tour. Um, all the bands I'd worked with prior to that were kind of more local, just playing stuff, uh, in the area type bands. Um, but then also, uh, being able to just put everything that I had into it. And, um, yeah, once that happened, you know, uh, more opportunities you know, presented themselves. Yeah. And I guess it, it, I, did it get, did it get moving quickly back then? Or did you, I mean, did you, cause like, I remember buying that, that American nightmare EP in, in the mall, you know, like on a, yeah. from a CD store in the mall, like not an independent record shop, like, was that, was that an immediate change for you guys? So we, when I, the same year that we put out that American nightmare record, I started working for uh, big wheel recreation, which was like an mm, indie, yeah. uh, indie label out of Boston, great label. Um, but I was working with them and I was also working with uh, their distributor lumberjack. And I was kind of like the go between between lumberjack and Caroline distribution. So Caroline being like the, the conduit to the bigger accounts, like the bigger stores. So like, you know, lumberjack back then as a distributor would get it in all the mom and pop cool record stores. And then Caroline would get it into like the tower records, the Sam goodies, like the bigger accounts that, you know, like the mall stores. Um, So because I was kind of that person helping with, the Caroline accounts, I was able to get some of our stuff into some, some of these bigger stores. So like people that didn't have a cool record store in their town or, or mm-hmm. might be like more like a suburban or, you know, like kind of more Midwest, they were able to find records that they wouldn't be able to get otherwise. Yeah, no, that, that, that was, that was the, the great thing about verse nine is that it was accessible. I could find it. I could get it uh, with central Pennsylvania. There was places, but I, I hadn't personally, I hadn't discovered them yet. You know, um, I would have to go to a borders or a, uh, whatever was in, I forget whatever the, 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 the mall stores were at the time. It wasn't FYE yet. The wall, maybe Camelot, maybe, you know, like things like that to find, to find hardcore CDs and they were slim picking. So whenever there was a, like a name, like something that I recognized and it became, you became a record label that I buy because it's on bridge nine. And again, I know I'm not alone in that. And sometimes that didn't work out. My, I don't, I don't love American nightmare. Um, but it found, it allowed me to find a lot of bands from what you put out that I, I do love. And that to me are some of the best hardcore records that, I mean, honestly, I think they're like top 20 hardcore records, Um, but I, I, I can't imagine the, uh, that shift seemed quick for you, right? Cause you're already a few years into it by then. Yeah. I mean, 
by the time I put out the American Nightmare record, I've been doing the label for about five years. But and and I think the year that that record came out, I had three releases. So mm-hmm. which was a big jump from one record a year prior to that. <laughs> yeah. But the year after that, it was like a dozen. So you know, like quadrupled. Um, and then after that, it was like 13, 14, 15. Like every year I was able to add on to it. Was that um I've was that escalation always exciting or was it frustrating? And the reason I, I asked that is because when I was, I lived in Baltimore for a long time and I became really good friends with my, my friend Dom who runs, ran 8389 records and helped him with that label for yeah. a period. And at Great one point he, he was doing like 30 records a year Yeah, and it was cool, but insane. Like, you know? it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's unsustainable and it's, it's overwhelming, you know, and it's really hard to build the infrastructure to be able to handle that. You know, like as a label, I'm, I was saying yes to a lot of people. I said no to a lot of people too, but I was like, if there was an opportunity that I wanted to to try and do, I, I jumped on it. And, you know, so I was very lucky to be in the right place at the right time for like a lot of bands that, um, you know, could have gone elsewhere and, and, yeah. and, and be able to put them out, put them out on bridge nine. Um, but it's, it is very hard to to manage. And it's almost like some, it gets to the point where it's, quantity instead of quality. And, you know, for me, I want to like, I'm moving forward. I want to focus on six, seven, eight records a year. You know, mm-hmm. I want to keep putting out new things. I never want bridge nine to be a catalog label where it just focuses on like one time period. Like I want to keep continue to evolve as a label, but, um, you need to do it at a manageable pace. Mm-hmm. People had to be coming at you with requests all the time. Chris put out my band. How about we do this? Yeah. Whatever. And like, and I get that on a much smaller level, just doing this. Hey, you should talk to this guy. You should, Hey, can we, can I, and we, there's a, there's like a boundary that has to be set and it's hard to do though without being a dick, but <laughs> like, was that a hard thing for you to find or were you able to come to that early on? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, especially because a lot of times you're working with people or you're meeting people that you have some sort of personal you know, right. uh, yeah. uh, rapport with, and you know, they say, don't hire your friends, but like, that's what you do. Like you, you know, <laughs> you want to give your friends opportunities and like, Oh, like, I like you. I'm going to, I want to put your band out. And you know, that's not always the best reason to, you know, to, to, to make a business decision, I guess, you know, like, I mean, I, I've put out plenty of records just because I want to. And I mean, all, yeah. literally all the record, everything we put out, it's like, because I want to. Um, but like, there's definitely been some releases that just like, well, maybe, Maybe, you know, that didn't help either of us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But tell me about the, um, the shift from online ordering or from mail order to online ordering. What was that? Cause that had to be right in the middle of your, or the peak yeah. of bridge nine. You know, the label didn't have a website for the first three years. So, mm-hmm. you know, started in 95, everything was little ads in fanzines and, you know, my parents' home address, and then people would just mail uh, a dollar, you know, send a dollar, like with a letter wrapped around it. And, and I would get that, you know, and, and it was crazy. I mean, cause I was getting quite a bit of those mailers back then in the nineties and I kept all of them. So like I have bins full of letters from kids <laughs> in the nineties that I still have, but I, and I, and I'll go through every once in a while and pull one out from somebody who's been a long time mail order customer or people that went on to be in bands that I, that I put out records for you know, yeah. like Ricky from backtrack, 
you know, I, I put out multiple backtrack records, but when he was like 14, he mail ordered the, the American Nightmare's second seven inch. And like, I have like this, like, you know, this mail order from him, which is cool. Yeah. Um, you know, even Joe Hardcore, you know, from, yeah, I think from I've Philly. seen that. Yeah. 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 You know, like, yeah, he was like 17 and he was like writing a letter. He's like, no, I, he might've even been younger. He's like, if you ever have any bands coming to Philly, let me know. I'll, <laughs> I'll book them. You know? And this was in like 1997. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was at one point it was getting dollar bills in the mail, uh, like every day. And then just mm-hmm. sending like a photocopied catalog, you know, basically like one piece of paper that had like the, the two records that were out, the four t-shirts, the three stickers, whatever. Right. And then, and then mail to them and wait, you know, two weeks. And then all of a sudden they'd send like 10 bucks in the mail and send them a t-shirt, send it back. Um, a lot of back and forth. Yeah. That, that, that happened until, I mean, so we got our first website in 98, um, started selling things off of the, the website, probably, you know, around 2000, maybe 99, 2000. I think at first we just, if you wanted to order online, we just said, get it from lumberjack from our distributor. Mm, um, yeah. and then we had like this little web store, uh, and I think it was probably early 2000s, 2003, 2004, when it really kind of switched over from mail order to just all online. Yeah. You know, there's a couple of years where it was like a mix and we still randomly get the random mail order every once in a really? while. Like, there's a couple <laughs> like old school, like, oh, like here's, here's, you know, $10. I want this CD. Um, <laughs> you know, like it, it's, no it's taxes. pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's funny. And uh I don't I remember ordering stuff like early ordering. I remember doing it put on on websites on uh but it was always like distributors. It was always like stores. It wasn't direct from labels. It was Interpunk or yep. Barry or Rev HQ, you know, like stuff like stuff like that. And I, but I do remember ordering eventually from from Briz9 and ordering a lot from Briz9. I went earlier, I was looking at your, your discography online, like just the full label thing. And I was trying to count just out of memory is like, what do I know I have in this collection? I got to 116 really wow. <laughs> like releases in there just out of like, yeah, I bought these, I bought the, I have, I mean, I have them all here. So I never get rid of anything, but um, yeah, there's still so much more. What, what number are you up to at this point? What's perpetuate? What roll calls we- perpetuate? I, we're up to like 277, like I think, um, or 276. Uh, I think we have one that's, yeah, yeah, 277 that are like proper releases. But then there's like another 30 plus of like these kind of bonus seven inches and like kind of like, you know, random records that we've done. So it's like somewhere over 300 releases, which is, is, is crazy to think. It is. Do, do you have any, do you have any missing numbers in there? I know a lot of labels end up with missing numbers. Yeah, we, I, I have a couple. I have so Bridge Nine Fifty uh, was supposed to come out in two thousand five, I think ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came out in two thousand seventeen, so it was like twelve <laughs> years late. And, and the, the idea when I when I when I came up with the idea of Bridge Nine Fifty, where it was going to be like this kind of seven inch compilation and mm-hmm. you know a book that was going to kind of tie the first forty nine releases together, the thought was I was going to do that every fifty releases. It took me 12 years to get the first one done. So I said, fuck it after that. So, so we actually, we don't have a bridge nine, 100. Um, we don't have a, I think we don't have a 150, and I don't, I think we have a, we might have 200. So like, there's a couple of like these notable yeah. numbers. I just said, I can't, I can't do it. It sounds like you're so. set up to do the, the 50 per 
release. I mean, you, you, once you get this system streamlined, I think you'll, I think you'll get it. It sounds tough though. I like, there's a, there's a lot of stuff your, your label became like the label that I had to track stuff down because I wasn't, I wasn't around when I first started. I didn't get into hardcore until late nineties, early two thousands for sure. And, uh, yeah. So like, I remember like finding like a proclamation CD and being like, fuck yeah. <laughs> like, you know, right. I saw earlier you posted a video of you flipping through records and there was a tenfold seven inch in there. It's like, Oh, don't have that one. You know? But so yep. like when you would do things like, uh, when you would do things like the, uh, the well, I forget what it were, the EP comp CDs, you released two of them back in the two thousands. Yep. Like that was a very cool thing for me. Um, right. there was, there's one I wanted to ask you about the, the death threat over my dead body split the CD. Why aren't the tracks split up on that CD? That I, I that, that was probably just a fuck up on you know on, <laughs> on someone's end. I think that you know what probably happened. That, so when you send a master for vinyl, you usually send like sides. Mm. So I want it must have been like the side split for the vinyl was sent from the CD press. Yeah. I just, that's probably what happened. <laughs> it's funny. It's always been frustrating. I mean, like, you know, it ensures that you'll listen to the whole, to the whole, their whole side, you know, but it's a, uh, it's been always a bitch. You couldn't skip through the, the songs all worthy yeah. though. So very cool. Um, so I, I want to talk about CDs like that one that just came to mind. This isn't even stuff I had written down, but the, that was the era of the CD and you guys did a lot of them with the clear outside. Yes. Uh, which, which don't always want to go in a uh, car CD player. Um, that, that is true. I've <laughs> caused a lot of uh, issues. And I think, I think at one point I would get mine stuck. I used to have a pair of tweezers I would keep in my car so I could pull it, pull the CDs out when they would get stuck in there because of, for that. So what was that idea? Because that's, I mean, that's going back to that American nightmare that, um, well, panic maybe was one of them. I don't yeah. know, but there's, there's a lot of them that, that seemed to do yeah, those singles, the sick of it all F minus that stuff. Yep. Yeah. There, I mean, CDs obviously were, were much, they, you know, they're much bigger than vinyl back then. Um, and those were called fan discs. So they had the, the clear outer ridge. So it was like, you know, for shorter, like shorter EPs and albums, because mm-hmm. the CD itself is only of what, like this big, right. you know, and then it has like a clear plastic and for, a handful of records. It was just a kind of a cool design element. You know, you're kind of able to work the art of the CD kind of yeah. over the clear parts. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I didn't realize it was going to be technical issues <laughs> at first, but we did, you know, some people did complain that it had issues on some CD players. Um, but at the time they just looked cool. They still do look cool. It's to me, they are still my, my favorite looking CDs. They're very cool things. Um, but, uh, it's a, it's a funny as sign of the times thing. Cause I don't think people would do them like that anymore, but I, I don't know. I, I could very easily be wrong. Um, but so it's, you, you release in hardcore almost exclusively, well, exclusively for a long time. And when, and you started to drift away, I don't remember what the first record was that you put, that was not a, quote unquote hardcore record but what was the reaction to you like when you started to do that you know it's it's funny because stuff that i put out that i i think are hardcore bands like crime and stereo like they're more yeah they're more melodic but like when we put that out there was people that like purists that were like you know what what's up with bridge nine not putting like you know putting out like a crime like why are they putting out crime and stereo it's not a hardcore band i'm like they're a hardcore band you know (laughs) And that was 
like our 80, I don't know, is it in the 80s releases, you know, like terms of numbers. Um, you know, it, it's, it's as a label, I mean, I, it's Bridge Nine is a hardcore punk label. That's always been my interest. But you also, you know, you, you, you like to, uh, I think most people like to uh, grow a little bit and, and explore a little bit. And, and, you know, my favorite band, you know, for many years was the Cardigans, you know, like that's <laughs> like, that's not a hardcore band. You know, like I, I like other shit and, you know, as you, you know, if you're only putting out 10 records or 20 or 50 records, you know, it's very easy to put like to be really kind of niche based and just focused on one thing. But after you've been doing it for a decade, for two decades, going into, you know, pushing 30 years, like you start to just want to naturally mix it up. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I think it's, um, it's normal, you know, to get into more shit. Like, I mean, when I started Bridge Nine, I was very, uh, focused. I'm like, I only like this kind of stuff, you know, yeah. within these parameters. And um, over the years, you know, you push a little bit on that. And and for me, that's been pretty cool because we've been able to put out a bunch of records with bands that like wouldn't have fit the mold when I started. But I'm so glad that, that we were able to work with them. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, even when when we put out, it's it's funny when we put out the tip of the iceberg record with Newfound Glory. Yeah. You know, that was, I think we were, that was right at the kind of point where I think it was okay to do that. But if that, if that had come out five years earlier, I think there would have been a lot more um, controversy about like putting out something kind of more pop punk on a hardcore yeah. label. Right. But now it just seems silly. There was that, there was that point. I don't know what it was, but there was that point where it was like pop punk's okay. Like, you know, like it was just it was yeah. all of a sudden, I don't remember if it was, well, I don't know if it was set your goals or whoever, somebody, somebody mixed it and everybody said, all right, it's all good now. And, uh, I think it's been that way since, I don't know, I'm, I am a blissfully, um, ignorant to what's cool and hardcore right now. Like, yeah. like, like as far as like the young people, the ones that are actually doing it, the ones that are actually, you know, like running it, quote unquote, um, I don't know. I don't know what the rules are anymore. And I love it. I I wish I was always like this, you know, and it seems like it was nice to see, um, prison nine not care so much and just do whatever they want. Even if you were putting out stuff that I didn't particularly care for, um, I still, I still ended up owning a lot of it too. Um, but that also had a lot to do with you guys would run these sales that I could not say no to. And I would just buy, buy, buy. And that's why I have, like I said, so many, so many of your releases. Um, and you've, you've always made it interesting and found these interesting way to make people want to buy shit. At least me, like what worked on me, obviously you would do these mystery boxes that I would be in for every year. And, you know, you get the, like, where did you come up with these concepts to like say, Oh, we're going to throw in a mystery seven inch, pick a, pick a band you might like, and we'll pack it full of shit, rares, rarity stuff. And but where, where did this all come from? So I started making mystery records. I remember the first one was with terror and that was a, uh, so we, we pressed a terror, like a live terror seven inch back in 2003, because when we put out uh, no warnings, ill blood record, there was a bunch of delays at the pressing plant with it. And it took months longer. I mean, we took, this is back when we were taking pre-orders, people sent in their money and like months went by three, four months went by, you know, people were bummed, 
So when we finally got the records and we were able to ship them out, I said, let's see if we can press this terror recording that we had. And we'll just do it as a secret thank you, like, uh, sorry for the delay and just give like a bonus record into the mm-hmm. package. And people were really stoked about that. Like it was, it you know, ended up being, being really cool. So that just became like, all right, well, let's start doing more of these bonus records. You know, there's always random recordings, whether it's demo recordings or live recordings or, you know, songs that got left off of uh, an album um, that maybe we can press as a standalone seven inch and then include it as some sort of incentive. So, you know, it, with the terror record, that was just like a, Hey, here's a record for free. We're sorry that this LP took so long. Um, and then I think the second one was with American nightmare. We did uh, a live in London. They recorded some songs on the BBC. So mm-hmm. we thought like, Hey, that was part of our like summer singles record. So like the F minus the sick of it all um, seven inch and CD, you know, so when we did those seven inches, we're like, well, you know what, we want people to buy all three of them. Cause I think we had three of these summer singles. So we said, let's make one of these American nightmare records and package it. So it's like, look, if you take a chance and get all three records, we'll throw this in for free. And people mm-hmm. were stoked on that. And it got, got people to check out all the bands. Um, because at that point it was, it was a little something for everybody. I mean, F minus was, you know, a little bit more on the punk side, you know, right. sick of it all, obviously New York hardcore and, and American nightmare. So we had like these three different kind of different things. And then after that, um, it was probably around 2010, 2011, when CDs started, you know, dropping it out of favor and we got stuck with a ton of them. So, <laughs> I mean, in order to move them, I mean, and they were still great. I mean, still great CDs. It's just like they weren't selling uh, because people were switching to digital. People were switching to, you know, like maybe just focusing on vinyl. So we're like, well, why don't we do like a mystery box where we'll give you like five or six CDs, but we're also going to throw in this unreleased seven inch. And, you know, we would do three at a time. And it was kind of like for fans of this, for fans of this and, you know, and what have you. And that was, those were wildly successful. So it, it, it worked out well because it ended up giving people, you know, a really exclusive record. I mean, they were only pressed in quantities of 500 for these seven inches. Um, you know, we were able to basically get rid of our the CDs that we had paid for at our costs. So kind of like cash those in and right. give people, uh, you know, some CDs that they wouldn't have maybe otherwise checked out. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a great concept. I, I loved it. I, <laughs> and, uh, I would buy multiples of, you know, I get, I get one package in and just be like, well, fuck it. I forget what they were 30 bucks or something. That's worth it for another one. You know, even if I'm going to get everything back again and it was, it was great. I loved it. Um, and I see you recently did something similar, but not quite the same where you released, what was it? Five releases that 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 you worked in. That was our kind of like raid the archive collection. And basically when we were getting ready to move and I was consolidating the office and going through everything and packing stuff up, um, going through file cabinets, going through old boxes, going through, you know, all sorts of stuff in the office. Like I was finding, um, and, and, and realizing that I had some recordings that had just been, you know, over the years, like, Oh yeah, we'll do something with this at some point. And then it just gets filed away. And then either that band breaks up or like, it just doesn't make sense for whatever reason. And so I thought, well, you know, we need to move. We need to like, we had so many financial obligations come out of nowhere because of the COVID stuff. And, um, and, and like 
uprooting, you know, a, a pretty big office space and warehouse and moving it to a new spot that needed renovation, like a, a whole renovation. Like it was just too much to deal with. So I basically went through, found five of these recordings um, and went to the bands and said, would you be cool? Like, this is something that's just been collecting dust. Would you be cool if we pressed a seven inch or an LP and um, made this kind of like mystery package? Cause we've, you know, we've had a lot of success with mystery packages and, and, and we'll, we're going to use this to kind of help underwrite some of this, these costs with the move. And, and all the bands were cool about it and said, you know, cause I wasn't going to announce who they were. It was going to be a mystery. So it's not like I was using them to sell it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, uh, just, just, just use them to, to kind of help transition into this new space. That's very cool. And that's, uh, those are all, everybody knows what those are by now. Right. Or they're still, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 we, we didn't like publicly post about it, but it's, it's, it's out there and it's been, it's I mean, they, they came out like last, uh, sometime in the spring. So, I mean, it's been at least six months, right? right. But I mean, there's some heavy hitters in there, you know, and, and it's, it was, uh, it was very cool to, to kind of go back and recreate some of these as new releases because, you know, like I did the layouts for, for all of them and, um, and kind of like piece them all together. Is that the normal? the norm no you're probably not the norm for you with bridge nine releases how much of a hand do you have these days in a bridge nine releases a very record by record um honestly at this point everything like you know it's it's pretty much i i i do a little bit of everything you know if i either design the record or i work with their artist and and, and basically do the mechanics of it um do the you know do the, the ordering of the records, uh, mm-hmm. any marketing. I mean, we, you know, we'll hire some people here and there to do uh, promotions or, you know, PR for, for releases. But I mean, it's bridge nine has always been very hands-on and very, very DIY. And it's, it's remains true to that to this day. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's obviously a very cool thing to me. It's like, to me, you're doing like the thing that I wish I could do. Like, like, it's just, it's, it's so cool. And you, 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 you also have the other business too, right? Sully's that's your, like yeah. attached. Yeah. So Sully's, um, was started in 2000, uh, as a concept, it, it, it took the name in 2003. So that's going on about 20 years now. And most people didn't know that they. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. They were. Uh, run out of the same office. So for, for, you know, for almost 20 years, it was just one side of the, 
of the Bridge Nine's warehouse was Bridge Nine, and the other half was was Sully's. Um, and that now that we have this new store, it's giving us an opportunity to kind of showcase both brands because we have like one side is a record store and the other side is Sully's brand. And for anyone that's listening that doesn't know what Sully's is, it's basically a Boston-centric sports brand that I started to sell stuff to Boston fans and then take that money and put it into putting out records. So that was how we funded the label early on. And, and I think after a couple of years realized it was actually a better business than doing a label. So we just said, all right, let's, I, I just said, let's, let's create a brand out of it and, and keep it running. And it's been, you know, going ever since. As a guy who likes the sports, I really appreciate that except for the Boston part of it. As I was been drinking out of a Sixers glass this whole time we've been yep. talking. Uh, <laughs> I hate that rivalry because it's not much of a rivalry. You guys win every time. Um, but anyway, <laughs> the, but tell me about your feelings on, cause I love talking to people that, that are into um, what we call it underground music. I don't know. We'll just say that. And, but also have an interest in sports or at least to some degree. Because that's yeah. like supposed to be a no-no to a lot of the world, but uh, but but I don't think it should be. How did you know? It's funny because in a lot of places that's the case, right? In Connecticut, when I was in high school, like there was punks and jocks, so it was two separate worlds. Um, there wasn't a lot of overlap. When I was in middle school, I put down my baseball glove and picked up a skateboard, you know, and yeah. just that was it. Um, but in other parts, uh, in, in, in Boston, it, it's for whatever reason, it has always been kind of celebrated to be like a Boston sports fan and to also be into punk. I mean, going so far back, at least in terms of hardcore and punk and, and Boston, like uh, Al Brill from SSP Control, huge Bruins hockey fan. Player. Yeah. You know, hockey player, Bruins fan, you know, had, would have a guitar with Bruins stickers all over it, you know, in 1982. Um, so, it's there's always kind of been this uh you know pass for for people in boston to to enjoy both which is, i think is great yeah no i i obviously agree and i think that's great too and i've always appreciated that out of that scene and <laughs> and you know it's funny cuz like all all the people that i know from the boston hardcore scene that's one of the things that we really bond on is arguing about sports yeah <laughs> so yeah. like it's, well, it's like a it's like an additional you know bond, connection what's what's really cool i think about the two between the two if you're into i mean if you're 16 or you're 60 you can talk to somebody about black flag right mm-hmm. like i've i've nerded out about black flag with people that were teenagers and people that were in their 60s um but you can also do the same with sports so like i could talk about the red sox with somebody who's 60 or 16 so there's not a whole lot of things that you have that automatic kind of camaraderie I guess, right. and interest, mutual interest. Um, so it's, I, I think, you know, that's kind of the common bond between the two brands that we have here between Bridge Nine and Sully's. You work, are, are, are people going to find you behind the counter at either of these yeah. stores? Are you so yeah, you're like I in mean, there doing the retail yeah, so business? We have, you know, we have, we have uh, one person that helps us with the counter, but like we're all working in the office right behind the counter. So like mm-hmm. when somebody comes in, you know, uh, one of us comes out and, and, and we'll like, you know, talk to them and, and, and answer any questions. And if I hear like, like today, I heard somebody say that they had driven off from Connecticut. So like, I just come right out. I, like, I want to talk yeah. to people. I want to meet people. Um, I love communicating with, you know, and just in, engaging with people about, about bands. So mm-hmm. like, 
um, so yeah, so you come to the store, you're going to, you're going to catch, you'll catch me, you'll catch, you know, there's a couple of us here. Cool. Well, speaking of bands back to bridge nine, what's a, well, let's go, go release. What is a release, a bridge nine release that you had hoped or thought, or at least thought maybe would be a bigger deal and just kind of fell flat. Didn't resonate with people the way you thought it would. Um, <clears throat> that's a good question. I mean, we've definitely had bands that like, I think had a lot of potential and mm-hmm. for whatever reason, uh, I just didn't, didn't go. Um, cause it's even a great record. It takes more than something being a great record. You know, there's right. all, there's like a few different things that kind of have to happen at once. Oh, there's for, tons of great um, records. No one knows about, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, which, and we have, we have tons of stuff. I mean, I, I, I'm proud of everything we've released. Um, and there's some stuff that's just absolute bangers that, you know, everyone knows. And there's other stuff that, that are, are more slept on. Um, but some of those records do, you know, ultimately come around and, and get their day. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting how some bands break up and their record gets bigger, mm-hmm. you know, and some bands break up and it's crickets. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, bands that, you know, bands that I think, uh, had more potential, um, that, that I, I think never realized it would be like a band like verse, you know, mm-hmm. great band. Um, and they did some really cool things, but I think they could have been so much bigger and, you know, so that's kind of sometimes the bummer as a, as a label to, you know, you, 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 you want to see bands just like get to like the, the highest level they possibly can. Right. Um, and, you know, when that doesn't happen, it, you know, it's, it can be a bummer. Of course. But I, I'd imagine what, did, what makes, each record a success a success kind of varies right or maybe the metric varies or maybe your expectations vary so like i don't know do you kind of compartmentalize like well this record here's what i actually expect from this one and this one is i mean is that do you build that into the way you uh physically produce the record, like, do you say we're going to buy? We're going to we're going to have a thousand of these pressed because I expect it to kill. And this one, we're just doing five hundred because who knows? For sure. Yeah, I mean, you definitely like when you're planning a record. You know, there's a lot of variables, right? Like, is, is it there's is it you know is it, is it this band's second album? Is it their third album? Have they been building up? You know, is it a brand new band that no one's ever heard of? Um, mm-hmm. Is it a band that that has a lot of hype because? somebody in it was in another band. Um, you know, there's, you, you kind of like, kind of have to weigh all the different variables before deciding what to press. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even then, you know, we'll, we'll usually do some sort of kind of conservative, uh, first pressing and then just go from there. Right. Right. Well, cause you can always put some in the vault, but tell me about the vault because every record label has a vault. It sounds like yours might actually have some unreleased stuff in it. <laughs> But uh, I like to joke with my record label friends about their vaults and uh, the way yeah. things they, they find things lying around. Um, but obviously, you know, that's not a real thing. But you got you know, there are things that do get lost. But th- there's clearly a and I don't blame anybody for it. There's this like strategic way to hold things back a bit mm-hmm. and then make them available later. Um, is that a. Is that a science? Is that a weird thing to do? Is that a, like, how does that work? It's, it's not really a science. I mean, one of the things that you find when you start a label is you, you become an archivist by default, 
Like you have to hold on to everything. You have to collect everything. Um, you have to keep all the parts of a record. But then when you press a record, you keep, you know, you keep the test pressings. You keep the, you know, I would keep a handful of every variant. So like, you know, if we press a record and we just did purple vinyl, like all right, I'll hold on to five copies. And then usually it was because I'd find out, oh, the merch guy never got one. So we need to have one in case somebody needs one. Um, and that started as a closet, you know, I think, or I had a cabinet and then it, and it turned into a closet. And then I had to build like in our old space, I had to kind of like build like this little room for it. Um, and it got a little out of control, to be honest, because, you know, when you're putting out 20 new records a year and you're repressing stuff and you know, it's, it, it starts to add up. And I was like, Oh, what, what am I going to do with all this? So we, you know, started like, I think in 2020, we did the raid the ball, uh, mystery box where, you know, you got a test press and you got all like uncirculated first pressings of, of, uh, like other records. Um, and that was pretty cool. Give people an opportunity to, 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 to grab something or to, to get something that was, you know, an older title, like an older record. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think as a label, you know, you just, you have to have a place to collect everything. You know, I have like records that I was given by bands that I toured with, or, um, I remember American nightmare had, uh, their demo, uh, the label made green vinyl, but they turned them into ashtrays where they were kind of like, you know, kind of melted, <laughs> yeah. you know, so I'm like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with this, but I, I put it, you know, I put it in the ball. So, yeah, no, no, it's, I, I think, I think you have the most legitimate vault I've heard of so far though. I think, so I think you're, yours, yours is the best, but, uh, t- test presses are test presses still a big deal to people. I know at one point it was like, everybody needed the fucking test press. It was, you know, scratching claw to get a test press. Is that, is that still, do people still clamor yeah. for that? For sure. I mean, t- test presses are still a thing. It's, it's just a cool, it's like the pre release version of a record. I, I know with all bridge nines test presses, I try to customize them. You know, I, yeah. I, I know a lot of labels. It's just like you get your like white dust sleeve and right. you know something written on the, on the label. But with, with mine for, for years, like I've just, you know, I'll, I'll make spray paint stencils and paint each one different colors. And, you know, just to kind of like, make something kind of cool. And it's almost like, so it puts my fingerprints on, on every single version of it, I guess. Yeah. 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 No, it's cool. That's, 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 I like that. Cause I got, yeah, I've got a few that are just, uh, you know, the blank white sleeve and, uh, yeah. I look at them like, you know, most of them were given to me from, and I, and I kind of feel stuck with them cause I don't really, like, what am I going to do with this thing? I got the real version, yeah. you know, like, I can't well, no, it, I mean, <laughs> people, people still love test presses. So like, if you do decide you need to get rid of them, you know, you get them up there. on discogs, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> you've released a lot of cool original stuff, right? The first stuff was on, on bridge nine. Uh, that's where the records were birthed, but you reissued a bunch of cool stuff to a bunch of classic hardcore records. Um, Antidote, Agnostic Front, wrecking crew but you know you know the list better than that yeah um is there anything any bands you were working on and never able to work out like you had them on the hook and they just got away like for yeah re- well, for reissue specifically there's a, there's actually a, the like the the holy grail of that um is ssd control That's and kind of figured. Ten, 10 years ago i i put uh, i think a, a really valid uh uh, effort to try and to do something with that. And, um, I just, even though I, I, I became friendly with, with Al Brill and, 
um, talked to him a bunch about it. Uh, we weren't able to get on the same page. Um, thankfully that record is coming out and I know it's mm-hmm. been announced that that's coming out next year. Uh, and it's coming out on a label that has kicked a lot of ass with reissues, uh, on trust. Yeah, what is that? So, trust? Um, yeah. Trust. trust yeah. yeah. Trust record. So they, they've done some amazing reissues with seven seconds and, um, circle jerks. And mm-hmm. so they, 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 they know what they're doing. And, um, and I, I trust it's going to be uh, trust. It's going to be, trust. it's going to be great. Yeah. So. Well, all right. Reissues in general, because you've re, you're reissuing some of your stuff now too. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute, but just the, like when you do these first round reissues, like when you did the uh, victim in pain or, uh, or antidote, we'll take two, two examples that I think you handled totally different. Victim in pain was like a whole new revamped looking record. Antidote was like, I mean, the CD version was just a slipcase with, you know, or the, in the seven yeah. version that I have as well, which looks like basically looks like the original. Where is that determined? Is that a case by case basis? Do you, or how do you prefer a re- reissue to be? Do you prefer it to be a revamped or a tribute to the original? So it, it is case by case basis. Almost, I almost always prefer it to be like almost an exact replica. Yeah. Um, as we did with, you know, the, the underdog seven inch or antidote with, with agnostic front, uh, that was their 25th anniversary. Um, there had been other versions of the record available. You know, it had the, the original kind of like Holocaust photo, uh, cover that came out from victim of pain. And then the second pressing was just a black on black with the embossing. And so, um, my thought was like, let's do something that, you know, is kind of like, worthy of it being this very notable, uh, anniversary. Um, so, but also at the same time kind of work in the original elements. So we went with that kind of like old book cover style design, but then embossed it, you know, like the second pressing was, and then the dust sleeve had the original image from the, the original first pressing on rat cage. So it kind of like had all the elements, but it was its own kind of standalone thing. Yeah, no, it's cool. I, I, I love it. It's obviously one of my favorite records ever, but it's, I'm, and I was happy that you reissued it because I didn't have a copy until then. So that's a, that's one of the things I, I, I'm not a, personally, I'm not a, I have a shitload, like there's a thousand, thousands of records in here, just like behind you. Right. But, uh, I only have one copy of each, so I don't care. I don't care which one it is. I just want it yeah. to, I just want it to be, to want it to be a copy. But so you recently, started reissuing bridge nine records stuff on this all silvers style. What, what is all this? What's you, so, how, how did that start? I should say, how did you start doing that? So silver is like the, 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 like the 25th anniversary color, um, you know, for like weddings and what have mm-hmm. you for anniversaries. So when we hit our 25th anniversary, I wanted to start doing this where like I would, basically just do a special pressing of some of the heavier hitters that, of albums that we've released um, with all silver. So like the silver vinyl, silver labels, silver jackets, where we basically rep, you know, kind of reprint the artwork of the original like design, but in mm-hmm. black and white on a silver board. So it kind of has a striking um, uh, kind of all silver look. And it just plays into the anniversary um, and it gives us an opportunity to acknowledge how many years, you know, that the label's been doing it as long as we have, uh, but then also just give like a cool special edition of, of, of albums that have 
been really kind of like a big deal for us as a label. It's very cool. How far ahead did you have to plan to do these with the way production times are? So, and well, it, it's been a process. I mean, I was hoping to do more earlier on. So the 2020 was kind of our proper 25th anniversary. Obviously that mm-hmm. kind of shit the bed. The first one came out with American Nightmare and that came out in February. So, you know, the plan was to do a whole bunch of these throughout 2020 and everything just got pushed back. So mm-hmm. we've done about, I think, nine of them now. Um, there's probably another six that I that are that are kind of in various levels of, of in the works. Um, and probably over the next year or two, we'll just continue to put out Keep doing. You know, a few more of these. So we originally it was, you know, for Janine's 25th anniversary. Now it's just 25 plus. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool no it's cool it's cool it gives another reason to buy the record i like them they look very look very cool and so far like all of them that you've picked are uh like well obviously you picked them for a reason they're uh the the top shelf i'd say of bridge nine uh two of them uh, right because you have lois the low in there too right yep. yeah lois lois the low and the things we carry are like two of them easily two of my favorite hardcore records of all time um that's awesome like t- top 20, I'd say I'd imagine you have had to release a bunch of that you would put up there as well. What are your favorite records that you've released? So, uh, I mean, low solo was, was huge. Um, you know, uh, bands from that era were bands that I was, you know, going on tour with more often. So, mm-hmm. you know, I have more of a personal connection to the albums than I think I do now. But, you know, like I went with terror to Japan on that on that album and, you know, um, American Nightmare, obviously, because I was roommates with those guys, Um, you know, just looking around like, I mean, H2O was a huge one because, you know, that was a a band that I was a fan of prior to starting the label. And then being able to work with them at that level uh, was 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 very cool. Um, You know, Death for Dishonor was a band. And has been a band that has, you know, done a lot of really cool shit. Now, surprisingly, I mean, it's it's been over a really long time. I mean, they were a brand new band when I started working with them, you know, in 2004, I think it was when we first started talking. Um, and, you know, like that's, you know, I think their album was the first one to uh, one of our first like Billboard Top 200 releases. You know, the, like the Friends was, Family Forever. Uh, that was uh, no, it was it was Count Me In. Count me in. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. There was a a point in the 2000s where it seemed like you were kind of trying to spread uh, internationally a little bit. There was no turning back. Miles away. Uh, Blue Monday up in Canada. Was there? Was that a conscious effort to try and find bands outside of the U.S.? So it wasn't really a conscious effort, but these were bands that I ended up touring with. With Mm -hmm. bands that I, you know, I so I would go with a band from here that I was working with over there, I'd meet these, you know, people in these bands, they'd tour, you know, and after a week or two, you, you start to get tight with these people. And it's funny. Cause like I would hang out for a week or two, 10, 15, 20 years ago with somebody and I'm still, still tight with them. Um, but <laughs> right. you know, it's like you become friends with these people and you want, you want to help your friends and you want to, you know, like, Oh, this band's cool, but they're in Perth, Australia. Like it would be sick to bring them over here. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of how those things those things happen. The last thing you put out, the most recent thing you put out is a uh, roll calls perpetuate. Uh, I had Brian and James on a few episodes ago, talk to them a little bit about 
how they ended up on bridge nine. What's your version of the story? How did you, how did you decide to get back in the game with roll call? Why were they the band? So, so Brian hit me up and, um, you know, he's, he's somebody that I've, I've, I've known for a little bit and, you know, like I've, I've never not wanted to keep putting out records, but I had to focus on, you know, getting through the COVID time and then, and then getting through this renovation and the, the renovation uh, of our space took 18 months. So, and I'm still working on it. Like I'm still in the warehouse building shit, painting shit, you know, like organizing things. Um, so that keeps going, but he basically came to me and said, we have this band, you know, I have this recording. It's, it's, it's ready to go. And I was like, so I, at first I listened to it. I thought it was great. And, you know, and it, and the fact that it was pretty much plug and play, I was like, look, my, my attention span is in three different directions right now. So I can't do all the handholding that I might normally do with a, with a, with a new band. Um, but if you're ready to go, let's do it. And so that was yeah. basically it. So, uh, so you sign roll call, you put out, you do the cassette. Would you, have you been doing cassettes before? Or is this the first time you've done a cassette in a while? No, we've, we've, we've done a bunch of cassettes. Um, it's not like something I do all the time. Um, mm-hmm. but it was, it was, it's really cassettes are, are having another Renaissance because you can get them in five or six weeks where yeah. vinyl, you know, take a year, you know, some of those silver editions took over a year to get turned around. Um, because for whatever reason, silver vinyl stopped being available for a while. <laughs> so like, you know, it was one of those things, the pressing plant hit me up and said, Hey, so silver isn't available. Um, what color do you want to do instead? And I was like, the whole, like the whole concept of this, re- of this pressing is silver. So I, I got to wait. So like, Oh, okay. Well, we should have it in about four months. It's like, Oh, cool. <laughs> but I think that stuff's calming down. And I, I, as from my understanding reading that you maybe you plan on doing a vinyl release for roll call as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We have, we have one in the works. Um, I'm not exactly sure yet when we'll have them in hand, but that's the plan. Right. So, so you're doing, you're doing, uh, these 25th anniversary releases. You got roll call. Um, not that I'm asking you to say anything or reveal anything, but are you, is prison? I'm back to sign in new bands. Is that something people can expect? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's going to be baby steps for a minute. You know, we're, we're not going to put like, you know, a dozen records out right out, out the gate. Um, and we're still, you know, still trying to make sure that the, the foundation that we're trying to build here is sturdy. So that way, when I commit to a band and I want to work with them, that I can give them my full attention. Cause like right now, like you said, you know, you, you saw like I'm, I'm fixing garage doors and like, yeah. you know, putting up shelves and, you know, painting ceilings and stuff. And so like, it's, it's, it's been a lot, but I, every time I do one of those things, I check it off. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to have to do this again. You know, and that list of things is getting shorter. So, you know, um, once, you know, and, and I don't know, give it another, uh, a few months and I think we'll be, uh, really ready to kind of get started again. That's very cool. I think that's pretty exciting too. You guys were the leader, really the leader for a long time. Um, in, the hardcore scene bands that were coming out on your label, how much credit goes to the message board? You know, it's funny. So the message board, um, for better or for worse, did reach a lot of people. And, mm-hmm. you know, when, and I can actually credit it to us working with Agnostic Front, 
So <laughs> yeah, in, really? in, yeah, I think it was 2005. Roger reaches out because they needed a band. Actually, actually, before Roger got in the mix, um, this guy Ano Cromag, which was like a, mm-hmm. a show promoter and magazine guy from mm-hmm. from Holland, who's unfortunately he's, he's in the in the years since it passed. Um, he, he was helping promote a tour with Terror. Uh, I think this was in 05. Um, I'm sorry, with Agnostic Front and Terror had dropped off the tour and they needed mm-hmm. to replace them. So he reached out to me because he had received the Friends Family Forever CD and had just started listening to Death Force Honor and wanted to see if they'd be available for the tour. And this is on like three weeks notice. Mm-hmm. And, Amer- and, and, and Death Force Honor had never played more than like a weekend of shows, like in a row, right? right so right. <laughs> um, basically... They were like, fuck yeah, we'll do it. Went and got their passports, you know, expedited. I don't think any of them had ever left the country. Mm-hmm. And they started a six-week tour with with uh with Ignacio Front. And part of the reason why they chose Death Board of Sonor was because of our connection with the Bridge Nine board. Because Roger actually reached out. He's like, you know, it's like the Bridge Nine board like reaches a lot of people. And to help promote the tour, like they wanted something that could kind of give it a push. And that was just like one, one, one of the selling points. So, so that's, that's when I got to, that's when I met Roger. And then, I don't know. I mean, two years later, we did a seven inch for agnostic front. Um, and we've done like a dozen since. So, you know, it really, it really opened up a, a, a cool, uh, door and, um, and got to put out a bunch of cool records and, 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 and meet some great people because of it. Yeah. That's, that's very cool. That, that, uh, that agnostic front seven inch, is that the one that came out before the warriors album? Yes. So, okay. yeah. so I, I remember that. And I, I remember being very excited because I'm a, I am a, I am a agnostic front. Uh, I don't want to say apologist, uh, enthusiast. I'll take yep. every era. I'll take every era. <laughs> I don't care which, what they sound like. I like it all. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I remember, but, but that you bringing that up reminds me that you started at some point, maybe you're still doing it. Maybe you're not, I don't know, doing the seven inch before the album Yep, that was seemed to become the bridge nine formula. Is that something, do you still do that? And how did you end up doing that? What did, where did that come from? So, so I always thought it was kind of like, you know, I, I, I mean, that, that's certainly been a, a tried and true kind of, um, help promote the fact that an album's coming uh, you know, like the single, you know, like, so like we would put out one or two, you know, like the, like whatever we thought was the strongest song from the album on like side a, and then maybe, uh, an unreleased song on side B. So there's something kind of exclusive. Um, and I, I think that's just been something that, that, that record labels have done over the years. Um, and for me, it was just a, it's just a cool way. I mean, I love doing seven inches and we got to the point where, you know, we're doing all these full length albums like you don't want to not do seven inches. So I was like, all right, well, let's try and put something out maybe a month or two before this album, just let people know what's going on. And so like with agnostic front, that was actually, um, I approached Roger about doing that seven inch because they were on nuclear blast. I mean, they're (laughs) on like a really big European kind of uh, label that's especially at the time more known for metal. So I was like, agnostic front is like a, you know, it's a classic, you know, hardcore band. And we at the time had that connection with hardcore kids in a way that I think even agnostic front didn't have. I mean, they were, you know, kind of more in a different world. So I was like, let's let us put out a seven inch and then it'll kind of help line hardcore kids up 
to, you know, and let them know that you have a new, a new album coming out and it worked. It was great. It worked out really well. And, and uh, I think we've done four of them um, in that same fashion. And we've done a bunch of other things. Like we've done like their, some of their reissues, like um, whether it was United Blood and Victim of Pain or the live at CVGB record. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also like kind of these teaser seven inches. Yeah. I remember, I know I have the that's life one around here somewhere and I know you've, you, you've done some other stuff too. Um, that's they're they're one where every time you do them, I grab them. And I always found that relationship. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I didn't, you know, I don't know if I pay attention to that stuff more than other people where it's like, well, they do these seven inches on bridge nine, but they release the albums on nuclear, nuclear blast. It's always hard for me to say. And, uh, yeah. And it's a, uh, not a lot of bands are able to do stuff like that. Not a lot of labels are able to do stuff like that, but, uh, it seems like exceptions were made and it's very cool. There was, I, I mean, I always say, not always say I've said since until that, uh, Godfathers of Hardcore documentary came out, it felt like agnostic front was kind of like this go away band in hardcore. And then that came out and I was like, never mind, come, come, <laughs> come in, you guys, you guys are great. Um, but, but it, so I've always appreciated that bridge nine was, was behind them the whole time, you know? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I obviously love, uh, you know, I, I love agnostic front and I love, you know, I mean, their contributions. I mean, everything that I do as a label would look different if, if they weren't, you know, there first. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, um, you know, obviously, uh, pay respect to, you know, to the people that kind of came before you and, 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 and kind of made things, uh, in point of the direction for you to, you know, to kind of like continue to follow. Um, but like that it's bands. I, I think, uh, people need to be reminded why bands are so great. And, you know, seeing bands that were uh, like huge or classic or whatever in their own right um, lose some of the their fan base. Um, like I mean, I, I remember seeing going to Warzone and like see Warzone and, and people be leaving before Warzone goes on. It's like this is fucking Warzone, you know. Um, I mean, I've seen I saw I've seen that happen with Sick of It All. Um, you know, it's as so you've got these bands that like are just it, uh, just as incredible bands, but you know, it's over time, sometimes that happens where, you know, they, they lose a a little bit of their fan base. And for me, it was an opportunity to like, uh, hopefully be able to say, no, these please pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's very cool that you've done that. And you've, I've always appreciated the connection of bridge nine for the, for the what's new and what's old as well. I mean, even if it was just slap shot, uh, you've always yeah. had slap shot stuff going on. Um, you've, you, you know, you redo the wrecking crew stuff, uh, the, it, you know, stuff that it, it introduced me to stuff that I wasn't there for like wrecking crew as, as an example, or the trouble, even I think that, that yeah, yeah. It came a little bit before me and, uh, like that's, it's always been, it's been a cool way to, uh, to find out about new bands. Uh, I want to ask you about, one more band and then I'm going to let you go. Tell me about so that's, a, that's a funny one. So, so I had gotten to know Rob Lind, um, you know, as, as you know, uh, uh, primary kind of songwriter for, from blood for blood. And I was working with him at the time on a sinners and saints album. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of his more rock, uh, you know, with his brother, project, right? uh, with his brother and, and so he, uh, you know, I, I started talking to him initially for that and was working on that project. And through working with him on that, he told me, he's like, hey, I'm going to start a new band. 
and it's going to be heavier than blood for blood. Are you interested? And I was like, I love blood for blood. I was like, are you heavier than blood for blood? Yeah, let's do it. I don't have to hear it. I don't care. I mean, whatever it is, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put it out. Um, and, uh, and he went to the studio with, with, with Kurt Ballou at God city and just, I mean, you know, recorded that, but a whimper record. And it was, I mean, it crushed. It was mm-hmm. so, you know, it was, I was pleasantly surprised or not. No, I'm sorry. I was, pleas- I was just happy. Cause I mean, I knew it was going to be good. Um, but yeah, that was a uh, sight unseen. You know, he's like, I'm going to do this. Are you interested? And I was like, yes. That's funny. I, I was, it came on today. I was at the gym and I had just on a bridge nine playlist and but a whimper came on and I love, and it reminds me how much I love but a whimper. And uh, yeah. I was just like, man, I remember the, the marketing, maybe the sticker, the hype sticker that was on it, where it just like, whatever it said, Rob from blood for blood with, with Jake Bannon from conversion. I was like, what the fuck is this going to sound like? You know? And yeah. I don't know if it sounds like what I thought it would sound like, but it sounds awesome. That, that EP is among my favorites uh, on that you put out. Uh, and I, very cool. I, I, I think having Jake involved obviously was very, very cool, but I, I think people didn't expect that. Um, no, no, that's for, what I mean. That's, the, that combination was like, Oh, what the fuck is this going to be? Yeah. Yeah. That was my conversation with Chris Wren of Bridge Nine Records. The song you just heard was Ramala by Ramala from But a Whimper, as we just spoke about. So if you never heard that band, please go back and start with that EP, But a Whimper. And you can probably just stay on that EP, but it's awesome. It's one of my favorites that Bridge Nine has done. There are so many different bands I wanted to play on this episode. 
when I tried to do a, uh, I tried to, I tried to keep it relevant to the conversation, which again was all over the place. Cause I asked questions uh, left, right and center and jumped around and cut him off and was kind of a bad host <laughs> and a bad interviewer in this case. But I guess I was just a little excited to talk bridge nine records. So thanks to you for getting through it, listening to me ramble. Um, and thanks to Chris for being so patient with me and talking for quite a while. It's one of the longer interviews I've done in uh, a few months, but I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you plan on listening to the next one. I don't know how you got here. I don't know if you're new because you saw Chris is on this podcast and you want to listen. As always, I'm covering all sorts of music genres, but all of it, uh, what you might consider underground. We got hardcore, death metal, noise rock, punk, whatever. You know how I am. Stoner rock. I don't care. If I like it, you're going to hear about it. And that's my favorite thing about doing this podcast, Getting It Out podcast. But you should also go to gettingitout.net where I have finally started to kick out some reviews this year. I'm moving quicker. I'm changing the way I'm doing things. I'm trying to be more a little more prolific with the writing output. So please go there. I put up two reviews this week already. One for Death Metal Luminaries Memoriam. Did I use that word luminaries right? They're veterans. It's Carl Willits from uh, Bolt Thrower is the, is the voice on that one. And uh, a review for Consume Me by Big Laugh, Milwaukee hardcore band. That, I mean, I kind of jokingly did a side-by-side comparison to the Milwaukee Bucks, Chris Middleton. But trust me, it works. A little clunky, but it works. I also put up my 2022 recap where you can see what albums I appreciated and listened to most of last year. Keep going back. There will be more to see and read in the future. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I'm going to leave you, though, with another Bridge Nine song, another Bridge Nine band, another Bridge Nine record that I love. This one is Your Worst Nightmare from Cops and Roberts off of the Execution Style EP. I highly encourage you to track it down if you can. Great hardcore punk. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.
catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 